Okay, so welcome again. Uh, my name is Andy. Hello, I'm Ezekiel. Welcome back. And here we are with our Accented uh, Philosophy podcast, where today, what do we discuss today, Ezekiel? We are talking about true crime shows, uh, which I think is a very hot topic. And every, a lot of people enjoy true crime shows. I, I surely do. Uh, but yeah, we're going to ask ourselves whether we think it's morally permissible to watch them, if there's any problem, uh, what could be the implications, why we like them so much. Uh, I think that's going to be a fascinating conversation. Exactly. And and it's particularly interesting because you are actually listening to true crime podcasts, right? While I have never listened to one, so I have no idea what this is about. And so perhaps we represent both sides of this debate, right? The people who uh, actually like to follow that and those who don't understand why why this is fascinating. Yeah, I, I mostly watch shows. Um, I, I have listened to a few uh, podcasts, but mostly my consumption of true crime is through shows. And I think that's true for most people. Um, ah, so wait have... a moment. What what do you mean? I thought we were talking only about podcasts. So what shows? You mean uh, where where do you see them on TV, on YouTube, on oh, Netflix? Netflix? What is the? It's like the number one genre on Netflix right now. It's everywhere. Uh, so for me, it's Netflix, but it doesn't have to be. I'm sure Prime also has shows. Um, I'm sure you know wh whatever platform you're using. Uh, mostly people watch documentaries about true crime. Um, and sometimes they're not documentaries, they're um, acting shows based on what actually happened. But there are podcasts, obviously. Uh, there, there's all kinds of uh, media, there's books. Um, but I think the, the most consumed media is, is shows, like documentaries. Okay, but but they are not. Uh, I mean, they are, as you say, they are played documentaries, right? So they are not. Uh, they are re re playing the situation. They are not, yeah. you know, real documentaries. Or is are they also? No. So some of them are replaying. So, for example, uh, we'll talk about Dammer, which is uh, a very popular show right now, which is replaying what happened with actors. Right. Uh, supposedly based on what actually happened. So everything should be true or almost everything. Uh, but most of the time, there are documentaries often in the form of a series. So you'll have multiple episodes. Um, but, you know, it's the same as a traditional documentary. You have interviews of people involved. You have old videos, old photos, all real documents, authentic documents. Um, and yeah, people explained to you what happened. And uh, you see cops talking, you know, sometimes the, the crimes happened 30 years ago, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be something that just happened now. Um, yeah, but I think that's the that's the most popular form of true crime. Right. And now I imagine that this takes a lot of money to be produced, right? You need to uh, stage all these things. You need to get access to the documents. You need to, to pay the actors. And, you know, these uh, presumably are professionally made movies yeah uh well i don't it depends right in the case of shows like dammer for example um of course it takes a lot of money because there are, there are actors there's producers it's, it's like a, a movie it's like an actual tv show right so that costs a lot of money and netflix um will spend a lot on that but for the rest of true crimes i'm not very familiar with how 
these things, how much does these things cost? But um, I think most of the time it's actually quite cheap. If it's a documentary compared to fictions, the things you have to produce, things you have to uh, pay actors for and write, um, because of course you have writers, you have producers, but uh, you don't have actors in documentaries, right? So I would assume a documentary series is actually cheaper to produce um, than a fiction series. And well, those platforms make a lot of money out of those because people love it. So it's actually quite a cheap way to make a lot of money um, for these platforms. So it's, it's a win-win, really. So if we compare this, um, th there are, you know, there are these true crime shows uh, which are partly staged and perhaps use some documentary material in there. And now you can compare this with, on the one side. Uh, real documentaries about some criminal case that happened in the past. And on the other hand, you can compare it, of course, with totally fictional uh, crime shows, um, crime serials that that are written. They are, they are totally fictional. And people also, I mean, they, they, there's also a huge fan base for all kinds of mystery uh, novels and movies and uh, crimes and thrillers. So how is the... What is the difference in the way you think that they appeal to the viewer? Why are these crime shows different from watching a documentary? And, and on the other hand, why are they different or more um, interesting to you, for example, than watching um, a totally fictional crime show? Yeah, well, you're right, because I actually don't really enjoy uh, the crime genre. Like, I don't read crime books or like police-based mysteries i'm not particularly interested in that uh i don't like horror movies at all uh, i never watch horror movies there's a lot of people who love that that's that's i think very different um but i love true crime and um i think for a lot of people it, the, the appeal is really and i think this is where the moral question um comes it's the appeal has to do with the fact that those things actually happened Right. And we are fascinated uh, in a very, you know, uh, in a very dark way, I guess, by the fact that those things uh, could happen, that someone could actually think of doing those horrible things. Um, and we are disgusted by it. You know, most of the time, I think the normal reaction is to be disgusted by it. We are very shocked. Um but we kind of want to understand. I think there's an element here where we we want to understand how can someone could uh, you know think of doing such things. Um, I think for me, at least, the psychological aspect of trying to understand um, how someone could end up doing this uh, is the most interesting. Uh, but I have personally a lot of questions about whether I should watch that or not. I feel a little bit guilty when I do. I recognize it's probably not the best part of me that's appealed to the, you know those shows. And I wonder if there's something here. I wonder um, if we should feel guilty, if we should stop, or if it's okay, if it actually maybe serves a purpose. But yeah, I think the true element is really what appeals people here. 
Right. So when you say whether I should watch it, this immediately um, reminds me, but perhaps we shouldn't go into this now, but just to, to remember the, the question for later, um, that there are two ways how you can think of whether you should watch it or not. And one is a virtue-based aspect where you would say, is it good for me? Is it good for my character to watch this? And the other is more a consequentialist question. Um, is it, am I doing something good by supporting these productions? Because, you know, I'm whatever you watch, you are endorsing it, you're supporting it, more money flows there and um, is not available for other kinds of cultural products. So in a way, you are voting for more of that. And yeah. I, I think both are interesting questions, right? Yeah. Um, no, yeah. So you um, said you had some numbers that you wanted to give about true crime. Is there is there anything you ha you have any facts you have? Yeah. So I didn't. I, I couldn't really gather um, a lot of numbers, but I know that it's one of the most popular um, genres on Netflix for sure. Now I'm talking about Netflix. This is what I know. Um, but yeah, this is definitely one of the number one genres that attracts people. Uh, I think in, so for example, a show like Making a Murderer, I don't know if you've heard of this show. Um, it was, I think in 2018, it was the most watched show on Netflix. Um, and this show is about, um, a person who was convicted of a crime, uh, and who was innocent and The police found out that he was innocent uh, many years later and he had been in prison for all this time. So he was released. And then another murder happened. So wait a moment. He, he was he, he was released because of this show, this crime show changed this or, or he was released anyway? No, that was, I think, in the 70s or 80s, right? So he the show was made after he was released, right? So right. the show starts with explaining how he was convicted wrongly. And he served a sentence while he was innocent, and then they found out and he was released. But then what's interesting is that the, um, uh, he is again involved in another crime after being released and accused again of murder and claiming in his innocence again. He's again saying, I am innocent. I've never done that. So you're you know, convicting me wrongly for a second time. And I believe he's in prison right now because... And the show has been released and the show really tells you, you know, all the sides of the story. So it's really difficult for you as a watcher to know what actually happened. Uh, but it really makes you doubt, you know, is he innocent or not? And as we speak, I think the case is still going on. So this this was, I think, what this show, uh, the reason this show was particularly popular is that it was happening while we were watching, right? And we still don't know what is going to happen, going to, happen to him. Um, so yeah, Making a Murder is a huge hit. Dammer, for example, is uh, one of the most popular shows on Netflix right now. It is produced by Netflix. Uh, everyone has been talking about it, especially around Halloween. Um, and I think this is what gave me the idea of having this podcast, because this show in particular raised a lot of controversies. And um, yeah, because... Uh, for example, families have complained, have demanded that people boycott the show. Um, and But we can talk about that if you want in a moment when we actually uh, talk about this specific issue. But yeah, I think 
I don't have specific numbers of how many people watch true crime, but for sure from everything we can gather, we can tell this is extremely popular and this is becoming increasingly popular. Um, and I think worthy of analysis from our humble philosophical perspective. Right. And uh, there is there are drawbacks to this true crime as opposed to fictional crime. Obvious drawbacks, like you said just now, we don't know the end of the story yet. Yeah, from the from the perspective of um consumer of this product, it seems that this is um less satisfying perhaps than a fictional product because for example you don't have the ending right you said just now the process is still ongoing and we don't know what will happen and so this leaves you in a state of not being you know satisfied um while a crime show a fictional crime show would be finished would have a nice ending you would all your feelings would be you know arranged in the right hollywood way um so you're missing something there right um and also of course the the description of the good guys and the bad guys uh you have you know you don't have this perfection of villains that are constructed uh, but instead these people i guess sometimes will turn out to be pretty trivial bad people right that are not perhaps not so interesting as a constructed villain would be so you are you are paying uh, a price for for the reality by getting a product that is less satisfactory as a consumer product um how how is this tension between the two for the consumer is this you know do you feel that the the reality of it really makes up for these let's say dramatic um drawbacks of the form yeah well i can only talk for myself really but um i'm pretty sure some people would be annoyed by the fact that we don't always have the answer maybe those people don't really enjoy true crime in the first place um not every true crime is like that, though. Some true crime stories have an answer. There's an ending. Maybe the, the person is dead already. They've been convicted. We all know everything. Um, I would say whether or not we have the, the resolution is kind of irrelevant. At least for me, uh, what I enjoy in true crime is kind of the process of what, you know, happened. And again, the psychological aspect and trying to kind of understand and sometimes it's really even hard to put words on it. And maybe that's why it's helpful to, to have this conversation now, because I can feel like I'm fascinated by something. For example, I may be uh, I'm easily fascinated by stories that involve uh, religions and cults, you know, and um, I don't really know why, but this is just the fact that a, a true crime story will take place in a cult. I'm already, I already want to watch, right? So it doesn't really matter what, uh, if we know the ending or what exactly happened. Uh, but I think it's this kind of atmosphere that is recreated that really is interesting to me. Um, and then when it comes to the villain, so that's, um, I personally don't really care for villains, even in fictions. But I never, I know people sometimes find villains really uh, sexy and so on. And I never really had this. In this case, I also don't. I know there are people who may be tempted to romanticize the villains in case, in this case, the serial killers or uh, the murderers and so on. And um, this is also why people have complained about true crime as a genre, because they say often these uh, shows will present them as 
kind of heroes in some ways. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's wrong. You know, we shouldn't do that. Right? So I can totally understand this. Uh, I don't personally tend to romanticize them. Um, I think most shows do a good job at not doing it. But for example, again, there's been many complaints about Dammer for precisely doing this. Um, and in fact, you see people, for example, wearing Halloween costumes of him, uh, having Halloween themed, uh, Dammer themed Halloween parties, um, and saying he's very charismatic. And so, so this, this is really a problem. Um, yeah, and, I mean, undoubtedly, you know, some of these people are very charismatic. Uh, with the crime, you know, goes the the ability to commit this crime, and part of their ability sometimes when they are interpersonal crimes that that depend on other people trusting you, right? Then you you need to have this charisma that makes other people trust you, so that you can then misuse it for your criminal purpose, right? If if somebody is totally repulsive as a person, he would probably have less opportunity to commit such crimes. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. Uh, there's many people who could be considered repulsive physically and who were actually serial killers. Um, um, I don't know what that means exactly, repulsive, but, you know, I don't think that's necessarily true that to be a serial killer, you need charisma um, because you can trap your victims in all kinds of ways, right? Uh, but in the case of Dahmer, it is true that, you know, uh, he was pretty good looking, I guess. Uh, he was young. Um, and there is this kind of like, well, I, I don't want to talk about like glamorous atmosphere because, uh, I find it quite disgusting, but, um, I guess Netflix produced a show that makes him look very weird for sure. Very creepy, but not completely disgusting either. Uh, I, I guess for some, um, I felt very uncomfortable watching the show. I thought it was disgusting. Um, but but then there's many other cases where really the villain or the murderer is uh, plain, gross, and you don't identify with them whatsoever. I'm not saying people identify with them, or I hope they don't. Um, but I don't think there's this glamorous atmosphere coming out of the show. So... I don't know, was that the intention of Netflix or is there something about Dammer particularly that made it so? Um, then I think it's also, I don't know if we can say that Netflix is 100% responsible for how people react to a show uh, because I watched it. I did not find him any, you know, uh, glamorous or attractive or whatever. I thought everything was creepy, but some people... Uh, did and so yeah I, I don't know if that's on Netflix really it might also just be on, on people right but but you said you felt very uncomfortable watching the show so now when I feel very uncomfortable watching something I turn it off uh, what, what do you make of this contradiction I mean how can somebody feel very uncomfortable watching a show and then still watch it um, yeah. What is it? If you look inside yourself, uh, you know, at the moment where you watch it, what is it that compels you to watch it? Although you feel uncomfortable, right? If you if you just say, okay, I feel I feel fascinating by this, fascinated by this person, then I would understand it, right? If you say I, I feel uncomfortable, then why do you still watch it? What what is it? Yeah, I don't feel fascinated by this. I don't like them. I I, I don't admire them at all. I think they're horrible. Um, and I feel very uncomfortable. In fact, after I watched the first uh, two episodes, I think I, I barely slept because it was just too disturbing. 
Um, because it's disgusting. It's a disgusting history. So, sorry. Dahmer killed 17 men and he ate some of them. Uh, he was a cannibal. He um, is also, uh, he also raped them. And uh, one of his victims was very young. Um, so, and he tortured them. He did horrible, horrible things. And um, the show is really showing this in a very accurate way. Um, so I understand your question. For example, I don't watch horror movies because they scare me. Okay, so that's that's always my answer. People would tell me, well, that's the point and this is fun. And I don't find it fun because then I can't sleep at night and it's a whole thing. Um, in the case of true crime, I think this discomfort is what you're looking for if you like true crime. You want to feel uncomfortable. You want to be grossed out. And maybe you get something from that. Maybe you, you know... Um, Maybe we should mention catharsis and this phenomenon that Aristotle is talking about when he talks about uh, theater, plays. Maybe there's something cathartic in, in feeling disgusted so that, you know, you kind of like purify yourself uh, through the experience and you don't have to carry those gross feelings with you. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case because, to be honest, I don't think me watching true crime really changes my way of behaving in society and so on. But Yeah, and this is, you know, it is always a little critical to use um, these, you know, ancient or, or literary categories and to apply them to something they were not meant for. So I think that um, when Aristotle was speaking about this, he was speaking about ancient tragedy, which has a very particular structure, right? And uh, the point is that uh, these people are put into a situation and then the situation unfolds according to its own logic, but it ends up uh, at a point where uh, everybody suffers in the end, right? So this is the somehow the, the structure of this. And it's not because anybody is particularly evil, right? So ancient tragedy is not capitalizing on the badness of people. It's quite the opposite. They are all, all people in the tragedy are trying to do their best in their situation and from their perspective. And it just doesn't work out. You know, they are victims of fate. Uh, they're, or they're victims of their own decisions. Um, and the thing unfolds and, and in the end, everybody suffers. But we don't have this, um, repulsive aspect in ancient tragedy where you have a serial killer and then everybody hates the serial killer and the, even, even, you know, there, there were no deaths on, on the stage in an ancient tragedy. The, the deaths happened, you know, behind the stage and they rolled the bodies in and out, you know, the, they rolled the, the, the guy went behind, was killed and then they rolled his body. Uh, back to the front, but you didn't actually see the killing. So I'm not sure how much now this uh, Aristotelian uh, concept of, of the catharsis applies to a show in which the point is to see all these disgusting bits, right? I, I thought that perhaps it has um, something common with car crashes. Would you say that there is something there or or plane crashes where we love to see, you know, these pictures on TV of uh, bodies mangled on a hillside or on a highway uh, or, or we stop, you know, the car when there's a car crash and we try to see exactly what happened there. Is there some similarity to this? Yeah, I think it's exactly the same, to be honest. Um, I... I think we all have this impulse to stop the car and watch or slow down. 
And I personally stop myself from doing that. I'm, I can feel like this would be a, a natural response, but I always tell myself, don't do that. Th- these are real people and you're, they're not you know, animals. You're not in a, a zoo or, or whatever. So, so I do it in real life, but I still watch true crimes. And, and, I, and I wonder if that's the same thing. And it's, it's right. So what's the difference? Why do you stop yourself well, I from... Think, I don't think there is a difference. Um I mean, there's one difference that the one thing is staged, although it's based on a true story, it is still staged. And and we are not actually looking at someone suffering right now, for sure that that's the difference. So I guess that's the difference. Um, But I think that the impulse is probably rooted in the same thing. Um, You mentioned something uh, about fear and the fact that those um, shows seem to trigger a, a fearful response, something that is very, you know, uh, deeply rooted in human beings. I wonder if there's something about this. Uh, if somehow, maybe in our lives, we don't experience much of that. We don't experience a lot of fear, at least not the same kind. We experience a lot of stress. We experience a lot of anxiety for the future, for maybe work, uh, the environment, and so on. But we don't really have immediate threats, right? Not not as much as we used to, I guess. Um, so I wonder if there's something about this, about uh, us wanting to feel this very old and, uh, you know, primitive feeling that is fear. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, but then this would not explain why you do not enjoy horror movies, right? So this, uh, again, is a problem. If if it was the fear we are after, we would also, you know, you would watch horror movies, which you don't. So it is yeah, strange. You want, you want the feeling that it is real, but you also want the feeling that it's not really real. Because if it's as real as a car crash, then you don't want to watch, right? You want this intermediate feeling of it being uh, authentic in some respects, but not too much. Yes. Uh, for sure, you don't want it happening to you. You don't want to be in an actual situation of fear. When it comes to uh, horror movies, so a lot of people enjoy the feeling of fear. But when it comes to me, I, I, I would be more nuanced. The reason I don't watch horror movies is that I know the consequences they have on me. And so I'm being wise and saying, no, if you watch this, although you might want to, then the, you know you won't sleep and it'll take you uh, two weeks to recover because I'm super sensitive for some reason. Um, and I, also horror movies, they put you in a situation of stress sometimes. You know, there, there are those like scenes where something just appears on screen and it's horrible. And I, this, this I hate. I hate the feeling of stress. I feel like I'm stressed enough in general. Um, but I don't hate the thing of being scared. So, for example, what I can do is read novels that are a little spooky, right? Uh, like fantastic novels. Oh, well, maybe I shouldn't say fantastic. I think in English has a different meaning, but novel, uh, you know, spooky novels, right? Something that, you know, story fiction uh, that is a little bit scary. Um, so I can enjoy that because you don't have this element of surprise that you get from a movie, which I hate. And it's it's never going to be as graphic and as disgusting as a movie, right? So, but just to say, I don't dislike the, the feeling of fear as much 
right? Um, yeah, I can actually enjoy it to some uh, extent. Yeah. So this uh, brings me to this, you know, with uh, with the fear and the horror movies. I just looked it up that uh, the audience for horror movies is typically 55% men. Mm-hmm. while the audience for true crime is something like 80% women. So this alone shows that there must be something different, some, some different mechanism there uh, when these things attract so different audiences. And and the question is, why is it 80% women? This is strange, right? Because you would think that men have more of a taste for, um, you know, violence and, and action movies and, you know, killers and so on. This seems to be a man thing. Um, thrillers and, and action movies are more typically right for male audiences. So why does these attract women? And I mean, do you have a, do you have an idea? I mean, I have a, I have something that I read, which perhaps we can discuss in a moment, but tell me what your thoughts are. I, I don't really have an answer. Uh, I I agree. I mean, yeah, the numbers say so. And um, when I speak around me, I mean, I have male friends who will enjoy it, but uh, mostly, yeah, I I agree. It tends to be women. And which is interesting considering that most of those stories involve women being victims of men, right? So it's like, we like to watch this. Um, What I read was that um, this might be a mechanism to process this fear, Um, like a kind of therapy for fear. Like when you have a fear of spiders, uh, perhaps, um, you know, when you when you go to a therapist, they will expose you to images of spiders. And then perhaps you go to touch a spider. And uh, so slowly you get, you know, to accustom yourself to spiders. And, And the theory here was that perhaps women enjoy it because they feel that they are actually the target uh, audience, no, not not audience, but the target, you know, population group for these violent acts. And so they try to desensitize themselves and to process these feelings perhaps in advance, you know, before it happens to be better prepared uh, in case this happens or to have a better, um, you know, to have thought in advance, how would I um react if this happened to me and so this gives them perhaps an additional feeling of uh safety would you say that this is plausible yeah it's definitely plausible um i i can't say that i would um watch true crimes and think at least consciously like this i don't think uh, i have those thoughts but it's it's very like possible that these things are um going on in me without me noticing um and in terms of uh group phenomenon uh, yeah it's very possible that this would be something for sure um maybe there is a kind of comfort also coming from the fact that this has happened to others and it's not happening to me right now so by contrast to kind of feel better about yourself um that could also be something that plays a role uh, this is a pretty mean no, uh, kind of not, <laughs> consideration there, right? So I'm happy that somebody right? else's head is cut off. Think. Excuse me, say it again. We were talking at the same time. Right. It's not something you would voice or think. Uh, you don't think this. Uh, you feel very sorry for the people. But maybe unconsciously, uh, there might be something about that. Uh, it's just a hypothesis. I'm not. I'm really not sure what the answer is here. 
Um, but it would be interesting to talk to psychologists or a sociologist about that too. Right. Another thesis was that there is, you get some high from violence, um, you know, violent acts um, give you these uh, this hormonal response to violence, which uh, uh, makes you ready to fight, perhaps, or flee. And uh, this adrenaline is something that makes you feel um, heightened awareness at this moment. Perhaps you you forget your other problems, which seem less important. And so this uh, this high you get from violence um, perhaps is something that people want, they desire this, but without the actual violence. And so these shows um, somehow cater to this. They give you the, the high from the violence, they give you the adrenaline without the actual danger. Yeah, and I think what's very disturbing here is that often the 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 more gruesome the crimes the the better for the audience you know what i mean it's like we really want to see very messed up things um we are super attracted to extremely disturbing content no, um, I, th I think you should speak for yourself here right <laughs> some people some people are attracted i you know really i don't i i would switch my tv off when when something like yeah, this appears okay. there I, I would not watch it right uh, not because of some moral uh, superiority but just because it really uh, repels me i don't have any desire to watch you know such things it's uh, i i would look away you know i don't i don't want to see that yeah you know Maybe there's a generation uh, aspect to that too. I'm not sure, right? But uh, for example, I think my parents would hate true crime. I don't think they would be interested at all. I think for the same reasons, they would just say, no, I don't want to be feeling this way. This is disgusting. I don't want to be exposed to that. But all of my friends enjoy true crimes. I feel like it's an extremely common thing to watch. Um, so maybe there's something about this. Maybe our generation has been a little bit um, or used to seeing things like that on TV. Um, it doesn't mean we're considered normal, but um, maybe we're more open to the possibility that this is actually a, an acceptable uh, form of leisure to watch those things. Um, I, again, I don't know. But right, so for people who enjoy true crime, uh, at least, it seems that uh, the more disturbing, the better. And it doesn't have to be violent. I think it's, it's the thing about true crime. It doesn't have to be extremely violent. I think what is appealing is also the kind of mystery or the atmosphere around it. Um, again, when you talk about cults, when you talk about secrets, uh, there's this very famous case uh in france in the 80s and they made a true they made many true crime shows about this but there's one on netflix and it's about this uh little boy uh called gregory who was uh killed by somebody uh, when he was four years old he was thrown in the river really really horrible things um and we still don't know to this day who did it right it happened in a very small village in france in the 80s and um what we know is that for sure the murderer is very close to the family of the boy and it is probably a member of the family. But still, so it's a limited number of people who could have done that, right? Still, 30 plus years later, we still don't know exactly which member of that family. But I think what really um, 
interests people in this is the fascination for how can you do some something so horrible to a member of your family, you know, and it's it's um and you know it involves uh someone calling like making anonymous calls to the parents, threatening them with a weird voice. It's very spooky. Um and this I think the of course it's horribly violent. But it's not like, you know, uh, there's torture, there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of, you know, like very graphic things. It's more about how the human, how dark can the human mind go? And, and I think, I think this is what a lot of people are looking to find out when they watch True Crime. It's kind of like to dig as deep as possible and, and, and you know, find an answer to this question. How evil can we be? Um, and maybe that's a way to not be evil. You know what I mean? I'm trying to understand how low we can go as a species so that I, I don't do that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, this, this has two sides, right? It could be like you, the way you put it now, it's more like a therapeutic thing, right? So, um, admitting these urges or or these desires and you know um satisfying the the need for uh, gruesome content in this way uh, perhaps um prevents you from from you know seeking to to act on these things in some other way would would be more harmful right so so perhaps in this way but you could also say uh, perhaps there's something disturbing about a culture that gets used to um seeing these things um and accepting these these things uh, openly without feeling bad or without feeling ashamed about this right um i'm thinking that this is it's a part of a wider phenomenon right there there are many um more tv shows now that are more violent um or more gruesome than they were in the past uh, i think the squid game is another thing right which i have never watched uh for this reason but um this was also right the, this idea that uh there is there is this terrible thing happening and people enjoy watching it um and perhaps i don't know i'm, I'm thinking perhaps it has also to do with a wider a social situation or environmental situation that we are told so regularly that we are um you know in a in a final phase of of human existence and perhaps we are the last happy generation and after us you know comes the destruction of humanity and um if you have people all the time being exposed to this thought perhaps this desensitizes them or takes away from them the desire to be um to, to have more lofty humanist ideals you know and instead you know they embrace um now this is a negative way of, of putting it you know they embrace these lower um urges i don't know is there do you think there is a connection with with the wider cultural environment i mean we're definitely more exposed than we were ever exposed to violence in the media in general i think well, this is the nature of a um uh, technology is bringing this to us, uh, obviously, but not that violence didn't exist. I don't think there's necessarily an increase in violence. I think there's an increase in exposition to violence. 
Um, so maybe we have been desensitized for sure. Um, now it is maybe there's something a bit nihilistic um, about this when, as you said, we feel a little bit desperate about the state of the world. Uh, we don't have a lot of we feel hopeless and we don't really see uh, the meaning of it all, uh, given what the outcome could be. And so we just decide to give up and uh, follow our lowest instincts. But my question would really be, and it's the same question, how come we have those instincts? How come it brings us or at least some of us pleasure to watch those things? Um, and this is what I don't really know. And again, it's not because it's not because we can do something and that it is part of our nature that we should do it. So now my question is, should we watch these shows? Is it is it wrong for us to do so? Um, okay, yeah, let's go into this. Yeah. So we, we said there are these two aspects, right? So one is the virtue aspect, which probably is easier to deal with first. Um, so you say you watch this show and you have the feeling that you should not. Um, perhaps because of some aspect of you know virtue ethics your your character is being perhaps damaged in this way or you're uh, you're being a worse person for watching the show is this a consideration and and do you think that these shows actually have this effect i mean does it affect your character uh, um perhaps not personally yours but do you think that generally exposure to these kinds of stories uh, to this kind of content. I mean, it's an old discussion, right? Whether video games make kids more violent or uh, movies make the audience more violent. This is something that has never been um, really clarified, right? There are all uh, kinds of opinions back and forth. So wh what is your opinion, perhaps, about this? I, think I, I generally would tend to say that video games have a uh, negligible impacts on, on people's behavior. I think it's been proven that if you look at numbers, it's not necessarily true that, you know, murderers are consumers of video games and, you know, video game consumers are murderers. So uh, I don't think this is true for video games. Now, I, I think I don't, I'm not going to say people watch Supreme are, you know, going to influence and become murderers. Absolutely not. But yeah, no, wait a moment. Now you are, I think now this is a a fallacious thing what you're doing here right uh there's a straw man argument nobody said that you know playing video games would increase the the murderers in the population oh, yeah. but there might be there might be more subtle effects right i mean it's not like you go directly from a well-behaved kid to being a murderer but you could uh, for example be um more accepting of forms of violence in school you know bullying others perhaps or uh, trying to be, you know, the strong man in the class uh, or, you know, being more bossy. There could be effects like that that are much harder to detect statistically, right, than, than just looking at the number of murderers. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that, but I don't think I'm strong-running anyone. Uh, people absolutely blame video games for, for some uh, violent behavior. Trump, for example, uh, after some school shooting, was saying very clearly this is because kids are exposed to violent video games um and obviously this is a way yeah, okay but this is why we agree that trump is <laughs> is not an authority in clear I'm thinking saying, i'm saying people make that point now i'm saying i disagree with this point people do make it absolutely 
Um, obviously, he's saying this so he can avoid talking about guns and, and so on. But um, it is something you hear from people. I, my own parents would say things like that. Um, so I'm just saying I don't think there's a relation here. Now, when it comes to true crime, um, the subtle way in my influence or behavior, I'm not really, I cannot judge of this. I, I don't know. Um, what I wonder, well, I would be worried about the uh, romantizing effects. That for sure I would be worried about. If we take those uh, serial killers and we make them heroes, I think that's an issue. And I think we may, um, you know, young people may identify with them and so on. And the way, you know, obviously the media has an impact on the way people think, especially young people who are who can be influenced more easily. Um, but not only young people. Now, um, I don't think it influences people in acting a certain way. Um, I my problem with true crime is more um so i don't think it really influences my my character we talked about virtue ethics and whether it's good for my character to watch that i certainly don't think it improves my character so maybe if i were a true virtue ethics i shouldn't do anything that doesn't improve my character uh but i don't think it um uh, you know it harms it i don't think so uh it is not that i'm aware of but i'm not close to the idea that it could now my caution about true crime is more about the respect for the victims. And I think this is what would um, make me struggle a little bit. Uh, I wonder if it really is appropriate for the families of the victims to do this. Um, and I think here we have to look at it case by case and see what the, the show is actually saying, how it's talking about the victim, if it's being respectful to the victims. Um, and again, this is where the, this is why the show Dammer was controversial because um, there are some conditions that it didn't meet uh, when it comes to respect to the victims. Um, but isn't the you know isn't the fascination to to a great extent caused exactly by those things that you would say are not respectful to the victims? So when I uh, say I want to watch this show because it gives me this, uh, you know, strong feeling to see all these gruesome things and the heads cut off and so on, right? And the blood everywhere. So isn't this at the same time the fascination of it and also what is not respectful to the victims because, you know, it's somebody's head that you are uh, showing off there. So... I mean, does does this not go together? Could you preserve? Could you imagine that there is a show that that is respectful to the victims but preserves the fascination of the crime? Yeah, no, I can definitely see that because again, when I watch shows, I'm not looking for like blood, uh, you know, violence in the most graphic way. This is not what I'm looking for. I'm more looking for a fascinating, mysterious story that makes me think a lot about oh, how could that happen and. Uh, how dark can the, the human mind go? And, you know, this is what I'm looking for. Um, I don't really want to see actual violence, right? And uh, it doesn't do anything to me. I know some people like doing, like seeing that. I don't really like violence. Um, but, now, so there's a lot of, show, most of these shows will have the victims speaking in them, right? So they will be interviewing the, the, the family members and so on. Most of them. 
In the case of Dammer, because it's a production that involves actors, uh, it's not the case, obviously. And that's why the victims, the yeah, the families complained because they said they did not ask us. First, they didn't ask for our opinion. They didn't ask us any questions, and they twisted some elements. So some elements are not exactly true. Um, and they said it was disrespectful, which I understand. I think I would be horrified if that happened to me, and then at least you know did not ask for my opinion, or at least didn't look uh, to see if I had something to say. Um, so I think you can definitely do a show that is respectful to the victims, involve the victims, where the victims actually talk about what happened. All the, often, victims themselves will talk because they're not all dead, right? Sometimes they were abused. Some, you know, a lot of things happen to them. Sometimes they speak to the camera, and in in this way, maybe that you know that could be a way for them to also heal from what happened. Um, so I think that's why it has to be a case-by-case situation. But still, it is, you know, the fact remains that you're using the suffering of people for entertainment, right? So in mm -hmm. a sense, um, even if you try to reframe it as a healing process, it, it is still not. I mean, if it was the healing process, then you would send the victims to a doctor to to talk there in private. You wouldn't put them on camera and show this to millions of people. So the the fact is that you are actually exploiting this suffering for financial gain in the end, right? This is what you want. I mean, me, I don't know. No, uh, not don't you. I mean, the producer of, of yeah. the show, right? Yeah. Netflix definitely is making money. Um, Netflix or others obviously are making money uh, out of this. So I think the problem, I mean, is there a problem in doing that? If if the victims consent, you know, if, if the families say uh, yeah. I mean, they're in the documentary, they, they, they agree, they give their consent after all, why not? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, am I having some sort of enjoyable experience because someone else suffered? Yeah, actually, that's true. And that's, that's, uh, that's why I also have an issue here with it. And, um, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should rethink, uh, my ways of enter entertaining myself. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned briefly this this uh, problem that um, they also change may change the truth for the sake of the story, right? And this is plausible that they would aim to do this because you often have to simplify real stories to make them more dramatic. Uh, you have to perhaps resolve some ambiguities or just not mention them in order to make a person appear better or worse than they possibly are. Um, so how do you feel about uh, these narratives that pretend to be truthful in a way, which because this is the whole attraction, right? If it wasn't truthful, it would be fiction. It would be crime fiction instead of true crime. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they are manipulating the truth. Is this um, is this letting you down as a viewer, the knowledge that they are actually manipulating the whole point of why you watch this? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good point. Yes, I would feel betrayed. <laughs> no, I mean, um, most of the time, these are documentaries, so you can't really twist that much. Uh, 
So in the case of Dahmer, I don't know exactly what is true. Uh, some families have said, you know, some things were not exactly uh, like this. And I think Netflix has been cautious and has probably said in advance, yeah, not everything is 100% uh, true or, you know, uh, it remains a show after all. Now, if I'm presented something as the truth and then I happen as a watcher, uh, I happen to uh, to find out that it wasn't as disgusting or as whatever, uh, yeah, I would I would feel like uh, I was lied to because the point is to watch something that happened, is to watch something true. That's why it's true crime. And yeah, and and um, but but on the other hand, you know, you say much of the fascination with it is also the view into the mind of the um, you know of the killer or of the of the bad person. And and these views into the mind are always unreliable reconstructions because we don't have a recording of what happened in the mind of this person, right? So this is always guesswork, what, what the internal monologue of the killer is, right? And I think this is maybe what we like. It's because we it's a guess a game, you know? It's a game. It's how can we understand, you know? How can we interpret? It's like looking at a at a painting that's a little mysterious trying to understand why did the uh, painter want to do here. It's like, um, and it's so strange and it's so wrong, right? We really have a hard time understanding how could one do that. And yeah, I think this is what we find appealing. We are trying to figure it out. So. Um, of course, you have uh, psychologists and therapists that talk. Sometimes, sometimes you have the actual killer explaining what, why they did what they did, and it's the case with Dahmer because we have records because he admitted everything, um, and he we have records of him explaining why he did that. Of course, one is not always fully aware of their own motivation, right? But at least he explained what he thought he could explain. Um, and in this, so in this case, we have a pretty accurate picture, I think. But, you know, it's the same thing um, with when people are fascinated by mental, um, right, mental disorders and, and, you know, how come someone uh, may feel a certain way or have hallucinations or... Um, it's a little bit the same. It's like, how can the human mind, uh, how far can the human mind go? How low? How? Um, and I think there's something, at least in my case, um, there's something about understanding uh, why they ended up this way, because I don't think, and then I don't, I don't know about psychology. I don't know if people actually are born with certain things in their mind and make them act a certain way. But I'm more likely to think that things happen to them and then they end up uh, behaving a certain way. Most of these people suffered trauma as well as children. Uh, most of serial killers and so on were maybe abused or, you know, uh, they had violent parents or they, they, they witnessed horrible things. So I'm more interested in, in, in that. Um, what, what is the construction of a, a serial killer or a criminal? Um, and I think th this is, I'm interested in the social aspects in a way, because, 
I'm not saying these people are victims. The minute they do the thing they do, they're, they're not victims there, but they can be victims of someone else and criminals at the same time, right? And I'm more interested in, is there something in our societies that created these people, right? Uh, maybe not our societies, but, um, you know, our family systems or uh, whatever that is that happened to them. Um, what actually made them the way they are? Yeah, but this is this seems now to be um, perhaps more of an attempt to to whitewash this to to make it look more intellectual. Because you you could say you know if this was the main um, interest, then we would read perhaps a psychological biography of a serial killer, and there are such things, right? There are biographies of of killers that try to explain this. Um, but this is not what a true crime story is about, I guess. I mean, I I don't know how much of such a show is devoted to the psychological origins of um, whatever made the killer, you know, into a killer, and and how much of it is just the um, uh, fascination with the crimes themselves. So these seem to be distinct things, right? If I if I see, you know, cut off heads of the victims or uh, long descriptions of how the victims were killed or, or something like that, this doesn't actually give me any insight into the past of the killer. While if I had a very long description of his parent and his childhood and so on, this might be more useful. But this would not probably appeal to the audience of a true crime story. Or, or do you think that these things go together? Definitely. Those shows talk about all of that the, these shows talk about the childhood of the of the killer they talk about the social environment of the killer they really try to do a good job in explaining why the killer is the, this way it's not just showing the horrible crime mm-hmm. actually the crime itself is often very little like it's more of a progression of we go from this individual who seems normal and then uh, this happened and this happened and it changed. And you have people who knew them who say, yeah, we saw this behavior. We don't, we didn't understand and so on. Um, so there's a whole construction. Um, and yeah, for me, I don't know about people, but for me, definitely this is what interests me. Um, and way, way more than the crimes themselves, which in, in and of themselves don't really interest me at all. Um, okay. So... But the, I think people do read biographies of serial killers, and I, I think people are interested in the psychology. Um, yeah, of course, of course, some people are. The, the question is, are these the the people who watch true crime? So, is this the same audience, or are these other people? Uh, but let us let us briefly go to some um, the last point, which I think we, we must also slowly perhaps mm-hmm. come to an end and. Uh, the last big area we have not spoken about at all is what effect these shows have on the justice system, right? This is another problematic aspect of it, you could say. So on the one hand, they might be disturbing the progress of uh, investigations by the police, right? They might uh, interfere with um, evidence. Uh, I, I heard that there was a case where um, the true crime show runners um, did not give evidence to the police and they kept it because they wanted the 
the final episode um, of their crime show to reveal this piece of evidence. And only after this had been shown, then they they went to the police with it. So this is really interfering with, with a criminal case. Um, then you could say uh, there might be a problem because they might be interfering with the opinions of um, a jury, right? Especially in the US where you have these juries that that have to decide whether the, um, the person who is accused of the crime is actually guilty or not. You know, listening to this or listening to similar cases in, in true crime shows uh, might change their their own um, attitude towards the criminal, right? They might perhaps make them more sympathetic to the criminal or they might make them more afraid of the criminal, right? In any case, you know, change in some way the way they would judge such a case. So what what do you think of these possibilities? Yeah, I, it's possible, especially if the show is happening at the same time as the trial, it's, which is rarely the case, to be honest. Most of the time it happens way, way after. Um but it has happened just like in making a murder, like I said. I think uh, one potential risk would be influencing people's opinions and kind of um, no longer relying on the justice system's opinions or what the justice system actually says and kind of like having their own little thoughts about what we should do. That's kind of like, it's kind of fueling this idea that, oh, you know, um, if if it were me, I, I would I would kill them, or they should die, or they should you know, and, and more like um, it's creating um, an army of people who have a very strong opinion about those things, and maybe are less likely to rely on justice to actually do its job and and say, well, we declare that this person is either innocent or guilty, uh, and this is the official because when justice says this, this is the official. Uh, answer right this is uh there's no debate right because supposedly it's been done in a fair way with the jury and so on so um especially this presumption of innocence that somebody is supposed to be innocent uh, until they're proven guilty right and this seems perhaps to be in danger uh, from shows that uh, attempt to to show, you know, how this person is guilty, while perhaps in a court setting, much of this evidence wouldn't be admissible, then perhaps they wouldn't be guilty, right? Yeah, and it really allows people to have their personal feelings. And I don't think it's a good thing when it comes to actually judging people, you know, it's not about personal feelings. It's not how you feel about, you know, it's it's about what actually was done. It's about the law, right? And uh, the law is supposed to be objective, right? It's not supposed to take into account uh, how you feel as a person about about the thing, right? So I, I don't think these shows are necessarily helpful when it comes to trusting the justice system or uh, respecting, you know, trusting that the justice system will actually have a conclusion that is fair, you know? Um, and it's kind of fueling this idea that everyone can do uh, justice themselves, or at least that everyone's opinion about justice is uh, valid. And yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing. Um, and this has been around before. I mean, now that you mention it, uh, it appears to me we, you might have a different opinion there um, about this um, 
Me Too movement. This also had a disturbing uh, component there, right? The relationship between the Me Too movement and the presumption of innocence. Um, uh, or sometimes it seemed like um, the public was very ready, very easily to uh, accuse people and not to wait for, with a presumption of innocence, right, for an official investigation of these claims, but just to condemn people in public, uh, which is a little bit like, you know, the, in the past we had these witch trials where uh, you were accused of being a witch and then there was nothing you could do actually because the accusation itself was, was self-fulfilling, right? So if you were accused of being a witch, then you were one. Uh, and so in, in the sense, could, could this be a problem now that we are uh, undermining this judicial system, which we have and which is perhaps trying to be balanced and trying to do actual justice to the victims. And now we are not not only with true crime shows, but also with uh, the social movements like Me Too. Sometimes, I'm not saying that the whole Me Too movement, I mean, there's a whole, uh, obviously it had a lot of uh, justified cases uh, that came to light. But we cannot exclude the possibility that sometimes this also was um, unjust or not sufficiently, you know, considering the possible innocence of the victims. So do these things relate at all or would you say we shouldn't relate them? I think it's a bit different because true crime, often those things have happened quite a long time ago. Um, and well, sometimes we, we're not sure who did it, but um often we do i don't think so i think the problem with what people are complaining about with me too is well what you're saying but i, th I think what uh is different about me too is that um the reaction that we may have to a case is often related to how women have uh felt unheard by uh the police or the system in general and institutions and it's to say it's kind of, the, the intent is to kind of reclaim, uh, you know, the, this voice that wasn't uh, really heard and to say we have no other way to be heard than to, you know, take things this way and then do things this way. Um, and if obviously, you know, justice is is independent and does what, what it has to do. Uh, so if there is a case where someone is falsely accused, then it's the job of justice to find out. Um, if we look at the numbers, it's very, very rare uh, that someone falsely accuses someone of abuse in, in a Me Too situation, let's say. It's extremely rare. Um, and I think, well, this idea of saying we believe the victim is more, is, is to say um, we are trying to reverse the, the situation where victims were never heard and now we decide we, we take the um, this position of saying that if we consider that if you're talking about something you have more to lose than if you know than if you don't right and that nobody is doing it for fame or money or whatever like you have more to lose in speaking up than not and so in virtue of that we respect at least your word and we hear your word uh, so I, I think it's quite different because here with Me Too, we're dealing okay. with imbalance and we're trying to... Okay, okay, yes, 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 you're right. So there, there is the Me Too movement perhaps a bad example of this. 
But there is undoubtedly this public um, wish to uh, publicly execute people, you know, and they, uh, they I, I'm thinking now of, of the Johnny Depp and uh, Amber Heard, you know, this, this um, uh, whole thing they had with their divorce where it went back and forth and both of them at particular stages you know almost lost their jobs and were fired from their project uh, and replaced and then there was this thing was swinging around and sometimes the one was more favored by the public and then the other was more favored and in the end the one of them won and the other lost you know and then um yeah and and so this is not only then a private you know divorce proceedings it's a it's a public case in which the independently of what actually the judicial system decides, the public has already decided that we are not going to buy tickets for a movie in which this actor is present. And therefore, the studio has to drop this actor, right? So they they can enforce because the public, in with the help of the internet, is a unified force, you know, of millions of people. They can enforce particular sanctions against somebody, uh, even against the justice system, you know, even against the objective truth of of something. Yeah, um, I guess I guess what everyone feels comfortable with individually is fine. Like if you don't want to watch a movie with this actor, it doesn't really matter that much. Um, but I I agree. I think for me, those shows could be potentially harmful because they uh, present things in obviously a disgusting way, which is you know what what is true too. Um, and they how to say it's it's not that really. I, I don't want to say that we need nuance in judging a serial killer because I don't think we necessarily do. But um, it, it allows people to. Well, it, it is here to create a very emotional response, I guess. Um, and you naturally will react very emotionally because these things are really awful. And now, of course, those people are not going to the next day to a trial and judge someone, right? But um, it kind of uh, encourages thinking extremely emotionally about cases instead of trying to um, look at things in an in impartial, neutral way, and then so on. I'm not suggesting we get rid of our emotions. I don't think it's possible. But I don't think we should base our judgments on that only. And I think those shows might play a role in encouraging this, and that might be what uh, is bad about them. Now, that being said, I, I I wonder if there is some sort of value for society in these shows. And I, I'm not trying to justify my own, you know, desire to watch them. But um, so, for example, again, let's talk about Dahmer because that's that's the whole deal. So the, the, a lot of people have said we should not watch Dahmer because uh, the families uh, felt harmed by, by, by the show or some at least spoke up against it and uh, at the same time so I, I did watch it um, I didn't know a lot about this right, about this story and I didn't know that um, most of his victims were African American um, and that the police was called multiple times by neighbors 
Uh, they either didn't come or they came very briefly. They looked around and they felt, well, there's nothing. It's okay. Uh, they didn't really take anything seriously, partly because it was also a neighborhood which was uh, underprivileged where they didn't go a lot. It was mostly a, a, an African-American neighborhood. Also, uh, Dahmer was a member of the LGBT community and so were most of his victims. And um, it was kind of, so the show kind of really makes this clear that his murders were made possible because of systemic racism and, and homophobia. So like, so on the one hand, you you can say this uh, gives this is what you want to say perhaps that that it gives more exposure to these problems. Yeah. So how police is. Yeah, I'm not saying this is justification for watching them, or but one could come up with this argument that uh, I personally didn't know uh, how much of that played a role in in him being able to do, or at least you know uh, not being stopped very quickly, um, and. Yeah, you can say he was able to do all of this because the police didn't really want to be involved in this kind of neighborhood because maybe they trusted his words more than uh, the words of others. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure this is you know exactly the case, but um, or uh, at least in the show, and I don't know the extent to what this is true, but um, because he was gay, the police was a little bit. Uh, disturbed and didn't really want to know what was going on. This is what is shown in, in the show, right? I don't know if the police actually reacted this way, but it was more like, oh, okay, so you do your thing, you know, uh, we don't really want to hear about that. Um, because there was an, in, an instance of, um, well, uh, someone who was tortured, uh, who was actually this very young um, kid and he tried to escape and then the police find out and then the neighbors found out and so they called the police and the police came in Dahmer pretended that they were just having a fight that uh, they were boyfriends and and he was drunk and they were having a fight and then he brought him home right um and they were not having a fight he was he had tortured him and he had tried to escape and um and so and that just just happened and the police said that happened so yeah you can argue that this is kind of highlighting a systemic problem right and and it's not it's it's not always the case but it it is often the case because also when it comes to uh violence to women a lot of those shows involve this a lot of those shows involve there's a show called stalker um that i recently watched a little bit it's about um men who have stalked their partners or some women and they are uh this this Often they talk, they have, they're in jail, right? So uh, they explain why they stalk these women. Uh, and the women themselves, the victims, they speak in the documentaries. There's this other show called um, Killer Sally, is it? It's about a, a female bodybuilder who killed her husband because she says he was abusive, he was beating her. Um, and she tried to defend herself. It was in the 80s. She tried to defend herself in court, and people did not believe that she was a bitter, uh, you know, uh, bitter woman because she was very muscular. She was a bodybuilder. He was also a bodybuilder, so he was much, much stronger than her, even though she was quite strong herself. 
Um, and she did not fit in the traditional picture of, you know, a wife that is abused by her husband. So she went to jail. Um, she did kill him. So, you know, so that, that's a complex case. But I think in this, um, you know, sometimes there's cases where it makes you really think. It makes you really think of the nature of a criminal, uh, the nature of, of punishment, um and yeah but it seems to me now that this is very much dependent on the audience right so when you watch it it makes you think of all these uh, questions of justice and so on but i could well imagine if the wrong person watches this um for example what you said before about um uh, them being homosexuals or being underprivileged uh, areas and now imagine an audience of um uh, trump supporters watches this and their conclusions would be very different they wouldn't say um oh the police is biased you know against these underprivileged people they might say look uh, i always told you that homosexuals are criminals and here you have the proof right i mean these serial killers there and they're all homosexuals and they're all black you know so it it depends a little also on the audience what are the conclusions you draw from these cases right you can these these can inspire different parts of the audience to totally different conclusions and some of them we wouldn't think are good conclusions but um we cannot you know perhaps avoid triggering them yeah, that's, that's also a point. I think, well, like everything, uh, a lot of education has to be done uh, about those things. Um, maybe it's good that uh, platforms or people who do those shows, uh, you know, include trigger warnings and explain the context, maybe a little introduction. Um, yeah, maybe those things are important. Uh, more think talking about it as we do is also potentially helpful. Um, yeah, you're right. I, and I would also be cautious in, you know, because we can, if we see true crime all the time, we can maybe ha get the impression that this happens all the time, right? And that our societies are, you know, uh, more and more unsafe, which I don't think is the case if we look at the numbers. Um, so... I would be cautious also in people having a wrong opinion on what society looks like from seeing these shows everywhere uh, and then drawing conclusions which uh, would also be wrong. So I exactly, think which which is also a common thing with airplane accidents, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever airplane accidents are publicized, um, then for a while, you know, people uh, are afraid of flying and so on. Although there is this overwhelming evidence that flying is actually very safe, right? There are only a few accidents, but because they are so graphic and because they are so much publicized, you know, people get their wrong impression. Yeah, um, and I think, um, and maybe that would, that could be the last word. Um, what I find probably mostly interesting here is this kind of idea that uh, that some people have said about Me Too, for example, and men who are abusive, um, that they are not monsters, that they are actually parts of our society and they are in some way the products of our societies. They're not abnormal, you know what I mean? So I don't know, maybe some suffer from some disabilities uh, they've been traumatized so much that they become, in a way, that they don't. Their brains don't really work uh, the same way. And again, I'm super ignorant about that. But I think the general idea is that um, these people maybe take a certain behavior to the extreme, 
but it is a behavior that is socially constructed, that comes from society, that comes from our social norms. And um, so they go extremely far in the violence and the abuse, but um, after all, they are intrinsic parts of our societies and maybe we can see them as, as symptoms of the things that are wrong with our societies and the way we treat each other and so on. And I think if we look at it this way, we can actually learn a lot about who we are and what we could do better. Um, and maybe these shows could help uh, in highlighting these, these things, but um, I might be overly optimistic here. Um, that is, yeah, it's, as always, perhaps it depends on the audience, right? Who watches this and what their also what their uh, motivation is for watching it, right? Some people will watch it with a, with this motivation, you know, to understand what is happening. Uh, but I can imagine others might watch it just for the blood, right? I mean, there might be audiences like that, so it's always hard to guess, you know, why people are watching this. But at least we made some some progress, right? We tried to understand at least one person uh, and her reasons for watching this <laughs> yeah i'm not completely sure myself obviously it's still a bit unclear but um it's, it was helpful for me for sure i still don't really know what i should do um but yeah i was saying it's 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 like if you have a child and, and your child is a serial killer you will wonder what you've done right it's not necessarily your fault but it will be natural to ask yourself and i think we can also see the level of society and, and ask what have we done all together to create this. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'll stop watching true crime for now. Um, I might continue to struggle with my uh, with this moral dilemma, but uh, it has been helpful for me to highlight certain of my potential motivations. Okay, excellent. So, and I hope that it was helpful also for all those who are listening. Um, you will find this also, let's do a little advertisement on dailyphilosophy.com, right? Where um, I will also um, make this interview as an article. I will put it up there in case um, somebody wants to also read about it. And uh, of course, you're welcome to come back uh, next month, right? Now, once a month. Mm -hmm. We are having these discussions. So thank you, Ezekiel, for this. Thank you very much. And yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing you all again. Okay, so goodbye. Bye.